We're going to do something a little bit different. We did last uh, Thanksgiving, we did this, and then now this year we're going to try it again. Six people are going to speak for six minutes each, not six minutes total, six minutes each. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk on this topic, which is Thanksgiving. Now, Thanksgiving in Canada as a holiday has been celebrated in Canada since 1879, officially, far beyond, or uh, far earlier than that, but since 1879, officially, and it always was sometime in October. But on January 31st, 1957, our Governor General issued this proclamation on behalf of the government. A day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest for which Canada has been blessed. That's good. A day of general thanksgiving, not just general thanksgiving, this is in our history, to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest for which Canada has been blessed. What an incredible story. Psalm 92 says this, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love, that's God's, in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. It is is good. Somebody say it's good. It's good to give thanks. It's really good to give thanks. And so this morning we're going to hear from these six people and there's going to be a timer that's going to go up for each of them. That's six minutes long because some of them, particularly the one right behind me, has a tendency, he's already trying to sandbag me, I can hear it. (laughs) Six minutes and the clock will be going there. Put it up just so we can see it. Let's up there. And it, see, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one like that that I ignore every week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So they're going to have six minutes, and then I'm going to come. Wherever they're at, they will bring it to a screeching halt on the six-minute mark. <laughs> He's also a politician, so <laughs> when he promised me beforehand that he would do six minutes, I don't know. I was like... No, all seriousness, it's going to be wonderful. So here's what you're going to do to help them, is that while they're speaking, you're not going to have a nap or check your phone. You're going to be really active in your, say, that's good. Somebody try that right now. It's good. All right. Somebody say, preach it. Say, come on. on. Give it to me. There you go. And now we're, we're, wow, wow, you're getting it. So while they're here, they might start preaching if you do that. It'll be really good. So we're first, our first uh, speaker this morning, I'll introduce them all, and then they will just roll up one by one. First is Annika Millar. Then you don't, we can cl- we'll clap at the end, because that'll be awkward. Somebody will get a bigger cheer because they brought their family and everything. So, and some people have, like, a lot of people here. <laughs> Annika Millar, Caleb Jordan, Marvin Hunt, Ama Odurkwachi, Chris Murdy, and Naomi Hunt. All right. Uh, yeah, there you go. Ready to go? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go before the timer starts because why not? Good morning. Um, I'm super excited to be here. Um, when I first sat down to write about Thanksgiving, I was like, that shouldn't be too difficult. You know, it's Thanksgiving. And then I sat down and my mind went blank, of course. And I didn't want to just start by looking up the dictionary definition of it because I figured everybody already knows what Thanksgiving means. There's no point in doing that. That's just a waste of time. 
but I was really stuck. So I looked up the word in the dictionary, and I was actually really surprised by what it says. The dictionary definition of thanksgiving reads, the act of giving thanks, grateful acknowledgement of benefits or favors, especially to God, an expression of thanks, especially to God, a public celebration in acknowledgement of divine favor or kindness. I was so surprised to read that the actual dictionary definition includes God, that it says, um, it is meant to be a public celebration of acknowledgement of divine favor or kindness. And that's what the dictionary tells us to do. That's not even what the Bible is telling us to do. So what, imagine what the Bible is going to tell us. What is the purpose of Thanksgiving and what is it meant to be in our everyday life? Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So Thanksgiving is meant to be our road to peace, which sounds so opposite. Because when I, I know when I am anxious or I'm in a pit of fear or I'm angry, the last thing that I can think to do to get peace again is give thanks. But that's what the Bible says to do. So when the due dates are overwhelming and the, the work is just really stressful and the kids are fighting and you're in an argument with your wife or something like that, I don't know. But when those things start to come, um, Thanksgiving can be your road back to peace. Stop worrying about things you can't change. Tell God what you need. Give thanks. Then his peace will come and guard your heart and mind. When I looked up the word guard, I see that it is both a protecting word and a preventing word. Thankfulness is not only something that we use to pull ourselves out of that pit of fear and anxiety, but it is something that we can use to never even get there. Guard means to watch over in order to protect. So to have this peace which will protect and guard our heart, which is where everything in our life flows from, the Bible tells us, we need to become and grow into a thankful people. Not just when we feel like it or have a lot to be thankful about, because the reality is, is that we all have something to be thankful for. Growing up, my sisters and I watched a lot of VeggieTales. There was obviously other things we watched, but we watched a lot of VeggieTales. Um, you might be familiar with some of the silly songs with Larry or something like that. Me and my sisters would rewind the VHS and fast forward the VHS just to get back and listen to those over and over again so that we could memorize all the lyrics. Um, but one of the ones I want to bring up is in this episode, there's Madame Blueberry. She has bought out the entire Stuff Mart and her treehouse is full of stuff, just stuff. And she is still unhappy. She can't find happiness. And they contrast her character with this little asparagus girl who it's her, it's her birthday. And all she gets for her birthday is a piece of apple pie. But she is still so happy. She sings this song that I think we can learn from. I thank God for this day, for the sun in the sky, for my mom and my dad, for my piece of apple pie, for our home on the ground, for his love that's all around. That's why I say thanks every day. Because a thankful heart is a happy heart. I'm glad for what I have. That's an easy way to start. These are all very simple things that we all have. We all have today. We all have the sun or the rain in our case. We all have food. We all have the, the, our house. We all have somewhere to sleep. And if that's where your list starts and ends, I just want to encourage you to continue to say that list over and over again until you feel your peace come. Because the Bible says that our, his peace will come and guard us when we are thankful. So if you don't have it yet, keep being thankful. When peace is a baseline in our lives, anxiety and fear, when it threatens to take over, it can't because we've set a guard right at the front door. When the enemy comes and tries to steal and kill our joy and our peace, he can't make it past the front door because we've set a guard of thanksgiving right to stop him. Thanksgiving is our road to peace. 
So when you start to feel alone or you start to feel that depression come and attack you again, you can begin to list. God, I thank you that you've placed me in a place where I can find my people. God, I thank you that you've placed me in a church where I can serve along others who love you. God, I thank you that your word says that you will walk with me each and every day, that you will be beside me and you will never leave me or forsake me. And if that will begin to strengthen the guard of peace that you've set. When you're going through something that's stressful in school or in work and you're on the edge and you just feel like one thing could push you over. When you drive home and you're almost home and you just want to sit down in the chair, but you get home and the kids have left their bike in the driveway again. So you can't park in the driveway and all you want to do is just... You take a moment and you say, God, I thank you that you've given me kids that are healthy, that love to play outside, that you've given me a job where I can provide a bike for them, where I can provide for my family. So when you set your attitude on him and the thankfulness instead of stewing over on your anger. So when peace becomes a baseline in our lives, that means that those moments or seasons of anxiety, when they threaten to come, we can respond in grace and in peace rather than react in anger because Thanksgiving is our road to peace. Thanksgiving is the road to peace. And here we have Caleb. All right, here we go. So in my family, we have this tradition every year on Thanksgiving. So when we're setting up for dinner, we start placing a whole bunch of popcorn kernels all across the table. And usually it'll begin a fight started by Marty or Austin. And they'll be all over the house. We'll find them in Christmas time at Easter and then the following Thanksgiving, we'll find them all the time. But what we do with them is after dinner, we will grab a, my mom will grab a bowl and she will pass it in the room. We have to go and ask, uh, say what we're thankful for. So you grab the bowl and you drop, I'm thankful for my wife, Alexandra. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my job. And you just do all your things. Um, and so this is a tradition that we do every year on Thanksgiving, but I think it's something that we really need to start doing in our life day to day. Um, because we have a really easy time praising God and giving thanks when our life is going well. And it's easy to tell people and like share the gospel when God is meeting all your needs. But what happens when we're walking through a storm and your car breaks down again, or you don't have the newest iPhone, or there's something that comes up that makes you not want to be thankful? Um, see, ongoing Thanksgiving is often uh, not a natural thing for us to do. And our tendency is to forget about it and just to focus on either the negative things or the things that we've done on our own. Uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, God had to command his people time and time again to build altars of remembrance. In Joshua, the people of Israel had just come out of the desert, and for 40 years they'd been walking around. And then God parted the Jordan River, and they were able to walk into the Promised Land. But right before they did that, Joshua stopped, and he got them to build an altar out of 12 large stones. It says in Joshua 4, verse 21, Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do the stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and you might honor the Lord your God forever. So altars were a place of worship and a place where we got to meet God, but they're also a testimony to yourself, to your children, and to everyone around you about what God had done in your life. So building an altar is something that's intentional. It takes a lot of work. Um, but it's a place where we get to meet with God and we get to raise our eyes up on him away from our situation. We focus on what he has done for us in the past and it strengthens us in our, in our future and gives us a hope. So if you want to change your future, you need to build an altar of thanksgiving in your present 
about what God has done in your past. But what does that look like today? Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, So we no longer offer up a steady stream of blood sacrifices, but through Jesus we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. We offer from our lips that celebrate his name. So for us, building an altar looks a lot different. We don't build out of rocks. We're not sacrificing animals. Thank you, Jesus. But instead, we get to praise God, and it comes from thanksgiving of our lips. And if God never did anything again, so, he, so if God never did anything, he would still be worthy and deserve all our praise. If in this moment, he never did another thing for me, he deserves all the praise, he deserves all the thanksgiving. So we need to start to look back and see what God has done, because that's going to give us something to build our altar on. But it doesn't just stop there, because when we, when we change our perspective here in this moment, we can also, 10 years from now, I can look back on that altar that I built, and it will help me to look back to God in those moments. So if we want to change our future, we have to build an altar of thanksgiving today in our present, and that will alter, and that, and that will show us what God has done in the past. So one way we can do that, start writing in your journal. Start writing on your phone in the notes app. Start, just start writing stuff down, what God has done in your life. All the things that God has done in your life. And if you were sitting there, you're like, I got nothing. Then stop and pray. And just go, like, ask God, what can I be thankful for? And just start to write those things down. And then when you're going throughout your life, maybe it's the next day. Stop and when you're discouraged, look, read what God said you have. Look at the things that God has given you. And so um, when you're around your friends, we need to become a people who are, are, start talking about more than just the weather, more than just sports, but start to say, like, what I'm praying for and, like, the things that God has answered. So last year, my car broke down, and I had no money. I was saving up for an engagement ring, so I'm like, I can't afford a car. <laughs> and so I, I, started praying to, <laughs> I, I started praying to God, and I'm like, God, I'm thankful for the car that you're going to give me because I can't afford one right now. I thank you that you're going to be able to give me a car so I can drive around and go to work and make more money so I can get married. And so... That was Monday. I'm praying all day Monday. Tuesday, day, I'm praying all day Tuesday. Wednesday comes, I get a phone call, and someone wants to give me a car. And so the prayer that I got, the prayer that I said, thank you, Lord, in advance for what you're going to do for me. Wednesday, they said I was getting a car, and that Friday, I had a car from God. But, but there's even more. There's one more step further. Today, we have so much reach in the world. Um, social media has such a bad rep. Um, instead of posting about Trump or gas prices or, or just meaningless memes, we can start to, to share the things that God is doing in our life, to start sharing those things. I can start posting those things about my car, start sharing about what God's doing in your life. And so it begins with you looking back and saying, what has God been thankful, or what has God been faithful in my life? So God has, look back on times where God has been faithful in finances, where he's been faithful in healings, when he's been faithful in your marriage, just different moments, though, that's what you get to build your altar on. That's the base of it. And then we get to go and change our future by building an altar of thanksgiving, stay in the present, and then it shows what God has done in the past. Five seconds, five seconds. All right, here you go. See, the real problem with this is he made us give him our notes. That, you know, he says, I want your notes by Wednesday so that I can see what you're going to say. But, you know, I figured this out. So, just like Caleb said, Thanksgiving is, is looking at the past, is taking that opportunity to look back and see what God has done. So, Psalm 37, verse 35 says, I have been young and now I am an old. 
Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Now you see, I get what Craig has done. I'm the old white guy. You know, I, I get it. I get it. I can take that. But you know, there's an old white guy. Well, not too white. But anyhow, there's an old guy in Bible. In Ecclesiastes, called the preacher. And the preacher, as he got to the end of, of his life and the end of his book, he said, well, what is the sum of the matter? And he looks back at it all. But you see, the preacher had spent his entire life searching. He had gone through all sorts of experiments, experiments that you and I can't possibly do because some of them you have to be fabulously wealthy in order to be able to do. But he went through them, and he went through all these experiences, but the thing is, we don't have to do that. Because you see, Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my pathway. You see, the fact is that we have an advantage. We have the wisdom of God. So God has already told us what works. And we don't have to spend a lifetime experimenting, guessing, hoping for. All we really have to do is believe his word and do it. But there's the challenge. We have to actually believe his word. We have to believe the Bible. Now let's be honest with ourselves. There's a lot of people that look at me. They look at our family our wonderful family. See, he even alludes to our family. But you see, they, they look at our position, they look at our possessions, and they say, oh, you're lucky. You're fortunate. I mean, you, you know, you just had luck on your side. Well, I hate to tell you this, but that's not true. Because you see, before some of the people on this platform were born, <clears throat> some of you that are a little older have a few gray hairs. You'll remember the 1980s. The 1980s, we had a thing called recession. We didn't dare use the D word. We used the R word instead. And we had this recession. Well, I was personally on the edge of bankruptcy. That time, we had three boys. We were living below the poverty level. And you know, it's actually ironic that on Thursday, we were actually discussing a poverty reduction plan for the province of British Columbia. Hmm. But guess what was missing? The Bible. The wisdom of God was not there as we discussed this plan. This, well, a hypothetical plan because it still isn't coming for another five months. But anyways, so here I am, 1985, on the edge of bankruptcy, the bankers phoning us and all that pain in the neck and facing the challenges of where are we going to from here. I'm reading in my devotions and I get to Deuteronomy 14. I realize you don't have your, your Bibles opened up to that because you didn't bring your Bible. You brought it electronically. But when you go home, use your electronic Bible and read Deuteronomy chapter 14. This was my devotions. And as you get down to verse 22, verse 22 starts to talk about tithing. And it talks about giving. And you get into verse 23, and you read verse 23, and it says, And you shall eat the tithe there before the... Eat your tithe? Did anybody eat your tithe today? You know, I mean, what is this? Eat your tithe. And then it goes on and it says, and if it's too far to the place where I've put my name for you to go, take it and change it for money and then go and buy. I love the old King James. It says, buy whatever your soul lusteth after. Okay? For those of you that modern English, it says, whatever you desire. Okay, and it says, and eat before the Lord, you and your family, and rejoice. You and your household. 
And then it says in verse 27, it says, Doesn't, don't neglect the Levite. So we got to make sure that Craig's around on all this. And then verse 28 goes on and it talks about giving to the poor and taking care of the poor. Every three years you sort of gather your tie together so that you got a lump of it to be able to take to the poor because usually it's a large sum that's needed. So here I am on the brink of bankruptcy. Financially things are falling apart and God goes and says, 10% goes to the church. 10% is for you and your family. 10% is to go to the poor. And you live on the rest of the 70% and rejoice before the Lord because he's a good God. Folks, that's crazy. That's absolutely, utterly crazy. There is no poverty reduction plan that would agree with that. But the issue is that we're supposed to trust and obey and rejoice because we are not poor, we are blessed. We're children of the Most High God. God is a good God. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, the point is that we don't have to figure things out for ourselves. We don't have to go out and make our own mistakes and learn from our errors, okay? Because Abba has already given us timeless principles. And we're to rejoice before him with thanksgiving because he's a good God. He takes good care of his people. He loves his kids. And he's meant you for blessing. Woo, woo. All right. Good stuff. Here's Ama. My testimony of gratitude. I was raised in the Catholic Church and taught as a child to start every prayer with thanksgiving. I did as I was instructed and it became a habit. In my teens, I had the privilege of listening to my first ever recorded audio sermon while visiting my grandparents. I think my auntie thought uh, maybe I needed uh, witnessing too because I was a Catholic, and so I listened to it. The sermon was on Thanksgiving, and it had a profound impact on me. I don't remember the details of what the preacher said, but it left me with a new outlook of appreciating who God is and what he does for his children. It went beyond just starting prayers with Thanksgiving to having a grateful attitude in life in general. As I grew in my relationship with God, I came across the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In all things, while it was easy to be grateful for good things, it did not make sense to me to be thankful in difficult situations, not at all. Why thank God when I have a headache, when I could be praying for healing? My understanding of thanksgiving went to another level when I realized that we are instructed to give thanks in all things and not for the situation. I was wrong as I wrongly understood it to be. Giving thanks to God in all situations, as I understand it now, is finding something positive in the difficult situation to be grateful for. Not only in prayer, but in attitude and in speech. In the headache, for example, you could be grateful that you are alive, appreciate the gift of healing, and even be grateful for medication and medical care, which some people don't have anyway, while still praying for healing also. 
Now, even though I still go by the sequence I was taught as a child, and I start my prayer with thanksgiving, it's no longer a good habit, but a meaningful attitude of relating to my good, good father. Having a grateful attitude means my focus is often on God instead of any difficulty I may be going through. As a result, I have experienced the promise in Isaiah 26, verse 3, which says, You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you. I don't tend to be anxious for long, and some, in some situations when generally a human being should be anxious, I am not anxious at all. My faith in God has grown and keeps growing as I see him use difficult situations for good. I have even looked back after I've walked through a difficult situation and been able to thank God for the situation because I would not have grown in the ways that I did if that hadn't happened in my life. Three years ago, my husband Frank lost his job a week after I completed my master's. He was then the only sole breadwinner. It took me a year to get a job and for a, over a year for him to get one. During that period, we continued to be intentional in our gratitude to God for many things. His plan for the next season of our lives yet unknown, access to credit, which we will not have had if we're still in Ghana, for loved ones in this church family who work with us in prayer and support, Kobe and Diana, thank you, and for the prophecies that we received on our lives long ago that we were looking forward for it to come. We also thank God for the areas in our lives that he used that period to work on. We had to sell our house, and we're grateful that we're able to pay off all our debts. I'm grateful for that period during which our children had the opportunity to witness us live out our professed faith in God. I remember one day during that period, frankly, my older son had me over overheard me thanking God that our debts were paid when they weren't and came to find out it, it what it really was. I had the opportunity to assure him that God will see that our needs are met and so we could thank him in advance. Now, even though Frank works in Ghana and is away most of that year, we remain grateful for many things. The internet, which allows us to communicate every day more than once, for the strength of our marriage that can withstand the, this current separation, uh, we still pray for grace and don't take it for granted. We are grateful also that our children had the opportunity to have their daddy around when they were much younger and that his current job allows him to visit us at least twice a year. We are thankful to God that we really recently were able to replace the house that we had to sell. A grateful and a thankful heart keeps the focus on our good, good father who works on all things for the good of those who love him. God has our good on his mind all the time. No matter the situation, let's keep our eyes on him in gratitude and appreciation. It makes the journey of difficulty easier. As a period of growth and draws us closer to him, as he brings out the good that he has deposited in us. Thank you. Well done. Chris Murdy. Oh, man. I can say anything, right? <laughs> Six minutes. Okay, I'm a bit of a hand talker, so I'm going to hold the paper. I'm going to pace a little bit, too. Because that gets me a little more comfortable. <laughs> I'm probably the sound guy's worst nightmare. <laughs> 
I got a question for you. Have you ever been in a situation where you're completely caught off guard? I have. Let me tell you a story. Not that long ago, I was on top of the world. Up until this point, I had a promising career. I was on a path. I had made a plan. And then suddenly, I felt like all hope was lost for everything I had planned. On September 25th, 2013, in a single moment, my entire life got completely messed up. I was on top of a warehouse complex when suddenly I found myself falling three stories to a concrete sidewalk. In that split moment, I knew I was falling and I knew I had to do something about it. I said the words, no, I'm gonna live. I'm pretty convinced that because I spoke life in that moment, it came true. You see, people aren't supposed to survive falling from that far. In fact, what should have happened is I should have fallen another six feet into a hole in the ground, or I should have been paralyzed in some form. With my body aching from head to toe, toe and still trying to understand what just happened, giving thanks was the last thing on my mind. Some of the things that started to come to mind were, you don't deserve to live. Your life wasn't that valuable. Somebody, anybody else deserved that second chance other than me. Sitting there and dwelling on all the things I had lost and not being able to see a recovery past my pain, fear, anxiety, and worry started to take root. Have you ever been in a situation where you saw a little bit of light and thought to yourself, it can't get any worse, and then all of a sudden, it does? I have. I saw some small progress going from a wheelchair to a walker, and then from a walker to crutches, and then crutches to a cane. Some parts got better, some parts got worse. With the recovery taking from weeks to months to years, life started to fold in again. Credit cards piling up, line of credit nearing its limit, and the mortgage payment around the corner, I found myself breaking down. Pain, anxiety, and worry were at an all-time high. I was one of the last ones here one night after our first Hearing God seminar. As I was walking to my car in the parking lot, I found myself breaking down. I broke down right over there where you park your car. I fell to my knees and cried because I didn't know how I was going to make it to the end of the month. I thought I was going to lose everything. Clearly, my ability to control the situation wasn't working. In my tears, I simply said, God, I need help. I didn't realize it in that moment, but he heard my ask that night. He saw how desperate I had become, and he knew exactly how to take control of the situation. I believe the Holy Spirit was waiting for that invitation from me. One of the first things he saw that saw progress was my financial situation. Several months had passed in the new year before I found myself in such a rough spot. Holy Spirit reminded me that I hadn't brought my tithe yet this year, and that the tithe that was bringing was more of a fluid concept. In my defense, I had to pay the credit card, I had to pay the line of credit, and I had to make that mortgage payment. I had bills to pay. Honoring the bank came before honoring God. I knew the who's, the what's, and the why's of the tithe, but I thought I could do a better job of handling it. I decided to take a step of faith and write a check for three months that I missed. That meant the difference in knowing I could make the payment, the mortgage payment that month, or not. Days later, my situation turned a bit. It started to show some hope. A bit of clarity started to come to a very cloudy mind. God started to grant some grace to these financial burdens, but just enough to get by. After a couple months of getting by, panicking and anxiety subsided. Hope seemed attainable. A thought came to mind, since God was able to bless my finances, would he do it with my health? 
This is when I decided I had to fully give up control of my life in order to get back in control. I firmly believe that things we submit to God first before we try and handle it ourselves are better off. When I started bringing my pain to a God that heals before I went to physiotherapy, physiotherapy started to be more effective. When I started bringing my pain to a God that heals on the way to the doctor's office, the prescription started to work. At each step of healing getting better, my ability to earn shifted as well. Though I could no longer do what I was once doing, I could seem to do something else. And where I had stumbled backwards, that was no longer an issue. This is where I started to get comfortable in my progress. And I think we all know that when things get comfortable, it's about to get uncomfortable. <laughs> things progressed from getting by to getting by quite well. I had tested the principles of the tithe and determined I could no longer afford not to do them. The 90% blessed was going further than the 100% cursed. I heard the Holy Spirit prompt me. It was no longer enough for me to just get by. Now I had to help others get by. The first chance I got to practice this landed right in my lap. Generosity pledge. I began getting inten uh, intentional with my generosity. My lack in physical capabilities bothered me less and less. That ability was no longer my driving factor. Clearly, I was brought through this mess for a particular reason. I still hurt, but it's okay. Because if I still hurt, that means God's not done with the healing process yet. Imagine what would happen if your first response was to claim victory rather than defeat. I believe my first response from when I fell was a claim of victory, and that opened the door for a restoration process. Good job, bro. Hey. Amen. I'll give it to you in a second. You'll still have enough time. I'm not going to steal her time. Just five years ago, September what? 25th. Five years ago, I don't know if you got that, fell off a roof over 30 feet, landed. I get a call. I'm expecting to go and find him paralyzed or dead in the hospital. And he's there, and he's got a hurt on his hand, and his knee was jammed up. And it was, it was still significant damage, but he should have been dead. And so we're so grateful. Uh, we've had a few parties. We call them the We're Glad Chris is Alive party. Uh, yeah. So thank you, and thank you for being brave and sharing that story. Jesus. <laughs> Naomi Hunt. I'm so excited to be able to share with you today. It's Thanksgiving, a time when many of you, like the Jordan family, will gather around and you'll share the goodness of God to you in your year. And I get to practice the act of Thanksgiving by sharing the goodness of God and bringing healing to my life. Last week, Pastor Shanda taught us that when we surrender to the power of God in us, we can overcome the mountain that is in front of us. And I hope to share with you a key today uh, that I have found of how to unlock the power of God in me, and that is the power of corporate praise and thanksgiving. Because I know that the power of God is released in you when we praise him together as a community. I've struggled with um, anxiety for most of my life. I don't have a memory early enough where the presence of fear wasn't palpable in my body. I can't remember a time where that wasn't um, there. And I was introduced to Jesus at an early age. I grew up in a home that loved him. I grew to knowledge of him. But my fear grew along with me as well, to the point that when I was in grade 12, I was having multiple panic attacks every day. And in between, I was living at this constant level of anxiety in my body. Um, one day I walked into a worship service in a church I'd never been to before, and as I walked in, I got hit with one of the worst panic attacks of my life. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't move, I could, I could hardly even think. The only thing I knew was that something is really wrong with me. I knew that I should not be having this much fear just because I walked into a church building. And it was the first time in my life when I realized how much bondage I was really in. So I got into the service, and as everyone around me was praising and giving thanks to God, 
I said, Jesus, I don't want to be afraid anymore. And in that instant, I was physically completely healed. I've never experienced such a miraculous healing in my body as then. I had, I had so much joy and light in my life. I'd never known what freedom was until that moment. But that's not the end of my story. Um, I was free from panic attacks for many years until just a few years ago, I was in my current season of little babies and toddlers at home, and um, the anxiety started to creep back in really subtly, so I didn't know what was happening until one day I said to my husband, I feel like I'm being tormented. I'm like, hold on, that's not good. That's not, I don't want to be speaking that over my life. Like what, something is wrong. And the only thing I knew to do was I need to get to church. It was a Sunday morning. My baby was sick and I was going to take her to the doctor. But I was like, I need to get to church. And I figured out how I could come for just a few songs of worship. And I walked in the back there. Everybody was praising God together. And somebody I barely knew noticed me. She came over and she prayed for me. I was set free in that moment of panic. But I also had a realization. And that was that this time I was not going to be healed instantly. This time, I was going to need to fight for my freedom. Because when I went home, my circumstances hadn't changed. My baby was still sick. I still had three little kids. And then we added another one to the mix. And I still didn't know how to overcome the constant distraction that was my life. I didn't know how to push past that to give praise to God by myself at home. But I did know one thing. And that was that the power of God would be released for me when I praised him together in community with others. So every chance I had, I got here. I was already coming every Sunday, so I came early for pre-service prayer. I came on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. in the chapel for prayer. I came any opportunity that I had to get into the corporate presence of God where people were praising him, I took it. And what started to happen was that strength began to build inside of me. There is a strong correlation in scripture between the word praise and the word strength. And when we gather together, we release our praise to God and we actually release strength to other people around us. And that's what was happening in my life. I got stronger. I would go home and I could praise him for a little while and then my life was happening. And so it started to feel a little shaky. So I could come back here and I could get more strength and more strength and more strength until I was at home and I could praise him with everything that I was past my circumstances and the power of God would fall on me for my freedom. Psalm 30 says that I will praise you wherever I go. And when everyone gathers for worship, I will lift up your praise with a shout in front of the largest crowd I can find. I know that the power of God for you personally is released when we praise him together as a community. When we lift up that shout together, the power of God comes here in this place. We can't find it anywhere else. You can't go anywhere else to get what happens. We can't find it on our smartphones. I love technology and the resources we have, but there's nothing that replaces the physical, standing here together, lifting praise to God and giving him glory together. The Bible says don't neglect gathering together. Don't neglect it, but encourage one another. It gives us courage when we come here. Last week, um, Pastor Shanda reminded us to fight smart and not hard. And part of fighting smart is coming together and offering praise together. We fight our battles better when we fight them together. Um, your freedom is not just for you. Your healing is not just about you. God wants you healed and whole and transformed so that you can bring transformation to other people. When you praise him, whether it's from a place of strength or from a place of weakness, when you praise him in this place, it, it releases strength to somebody that you don't even know. It releases strength in your, in your home and in your workplace and wherever you go. When you are healed and whole and transformed as God wants you, you bring transformation to everyone around you. You've heard it said so many times from this pulpit, we are better together. 
So find your people, and with them, find your freedom so you can fulfill your purpose of leading others to the freedom and wholeness of Jesus. I know that the power of God is released for you personally when you praise him together in community.